renewable energy system is undergoing a huge transition, with the costs of renewable energy becoming more competitive versus traditional sources, along with increased public awareness and pressure. Renewable energy is becoming the mainstream energy source for many, no longer an alternative just for the progressive few. Listen each week as Brant Handley and Christian Crown, founding partners of Renew Executive Search, interview renewable energy and sustainability experts that are not only making a difference to the environment, but are also growing successful businesses. Listen and learn about what attracted these experts to renewables, why they've stayed in the sector, and how they are helping renewable companies create a better tomorrow. We know you'll enjoy these stories as much as Brandt and Christian enjoyed recording them. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We are looking forward to you joining us as we dive deeper on how renewables are going mainstream. Today's guest is Dave Rubenstein. Dave is the CEO and President of California Ethanol and Power, whose mission it is to produce sustainable, renewable, low-carbon energy in California from sugarcane. Prior to co-founding the company in 2007, Dave worked in the chemical distribution industry and eventually grew his own company from a small niche supplier of ammonia to become the largest industrial ammonia supplier in the southwestern United States. Dave uses the experience in the renewable and environmental industries to create innovative solutions for the future. Dave Rubenstein, welcome to Renewables Going Mainstream. Hey, good morning. <laughs> it's good to have you here. Well, listen, we spoke a few weeks back and uh, very, very excited to have you on the show. And we always kind of start just to, you know, kind of get a little bit of a, a path forward. Tell us a little bit about yourself and, you know, how your career path eventually led you into the renewable sector. Yeah, it was pretty interesting. I uh, I came out of college and I started working for a small chemical distributor, distribution family um, that was expanding into the West Coast. And uh, being a Midwest kid, uh, they gave me an opportunity to to move to Los Angeles, which was obviously pretty exciting. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, living on the beach and uh, trying to, um, you know, slug chemicals in the uh, pretty competitive marketplace uh, was, uh, you know, being thrown into the fire pretty quickly. Um, kind of worked for that for a couple of years. The family uh, had a, a big disagreement. I ended up buying the West Coast facility from them. Hmm. And uh, we call it the uh, the 20 year overnight success story. <laughs> <laughs> now, was that Pacific Diazo products? Yeah, Pacific Diazo products. And, and really, we started off selling ammonia to uh, some of your listeners probably have no idea what a blueprint is or a microfilm, but we used to supply that industry. And we realized that was kind of going the way of the uh, the dinosaur and we had to <laughs> sell ammonia into other industries. So we, we expanded and we supplied people that did refrigeration, uh, pollution control, uh, water treatment, things like that. And uh, we became pretty successful. We had a, a good run and um, thank goodness, uh, a Fortune 500 company called Air Gas bought me uh, out. Yeah. And uh, it was a happy day when they closed that deal and I was able to focus on what I'm working on now. That's awesome. So you stayed on with them for a consultant for a bit, right? Before you got to uh, California Ethanol, is that correct? Yeah, it was kind of an overlapping. I was kind of, kind of helping uh, merge our operations into theirs and, and finishing the uh, construction of a, of a state-of-the-art facility that we had started building uh, before they bought us out. So um, it was a little bit of an overlap, but I was really 
focusing in hard on uh, California ethanol and power, which is, as I saw, being a, uh, uh, a leader in the industry of, of where we we're going. So it became more of a uh, of uh, an exciting path to go forward versus the, the grind out work that I was doing at my previous company. Yeah. Awesome. So you've been doing that about 12 years now. Uh, tell me what attracted you to uh, start up California Ethanol and Power. What's interesting is that there was some farmers that that lived in Imperial County, California, which is the, the most southern point of California. And they were they were trying to get into the ethanol business as they saw that that, that business was starting to expand and, uh, and, and, and really get quite big. Uh, their, their overall thought was, how do you bring a, a crop of uh, a, a profitable and stable crop that they could plant in the valley and um, kind of get into this marketplace? And they said, well, you know, why do we grow sugarcane like they're doing Brazil? And, um, you know, we'll kind of compete against the corn versus ethanol guys and we'll do a sugarcane, which is uh, mo much more efficient. And we'll be able to supply this ethanol into the California market, which is, you know, one of the largest transportation markets in the world. So they, they reached out to me and they, they knew that I had a, uh, a, a good track record and reputation with some of the big oil companies and is that we were either buying product from them or selling product to them. And they asked me to get involved and see if I could uh, perhaps work on an offtake agreement for them. And uh, that's, that's how the, uh, the, the hook got set. <laughs> The impetus of the idea. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. And um, let's see, as I said, you've been doing this about 12 years now. It, it, you know, what's kind of kept you at it? Because I'm sure you've, you've had some tough years as you've gone through it, or, or has it been a grow, grow, grow over the last period of time? Yeah, no, that's a good point. It's been, uh, it's been relatively difficult. You know, we, 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 we got the, the team on, on board and we started moving forward and, and the recession hit us. So we kind of went into a, a hibernation period for, for a number of years. Um, I was one of the first hard checks that went into the company. So, um, you know, I had skin in the game and uh, some of the folks that invested uh, were friends of mine. So I, I refused to give up and, and, and call it quits. We, we saw there was an opportunity. It was a matter of kind of getting through the recession, which, which we did. Um, you know, and then we ran into some other hurdles. Um, one was the, the country of Brazil um, has some state-owned banks, the, the Brazilian Development Bank and the Bank of Brazil, and they they were going to fund the project, and we ended up getting our permits and um, offtake agreement, and you know the, the the banking industry in Brazil started to uh, tank at that point, and and they weren't able to come through with the financing plan, so you know we had to kind of re reshift, and and uh, we kind of looked at the United States market and doing a traditional project financing to get this thing done. And uh, just, uh, you know, just seems like one hurdle after the other. So, yeah, well, starting a business in the middle of the recession is always a challenge, <laughs> mm. right? Was it mid 2008, I think, when you first got things started? Yeah, it was, you know, right during the, the, the thick of it all. And, uh, you know, getting folks to uh, make an investment when they had no idea what was happening with their nest egg. Uh, it was made for some very trying times. So. Well, tell us where you are today and maybe just, you know, for those of, that are listening, many of which are outside the renewable industry, you know, you've got a very interesting take and an angle as it relates to what you're doing down there in Imperial Valley. Give, give us a little thumbnail sketch of uh, the current, you know, business plan and approach of California Ethanol Power. Yeah, we're really excited about it because it, it, it really, it really kind of is a full circle type of situation here where the local growers who are, are, are 
constantly stressed over what kind of crop can they grow? Right. Um, are they going to make a profit on it? You know, w- w- will the crop actually get to harvest? You know, for instance, it's it's raining in Imperial County today, and that's going to wash out some acres for mm. for some of the uh, the growth that these guys have. California has its own issues. California has a fifteen dollar minimum wage that's going to be going into effect over the next couple of years. That's right. And if you have you know guys picking um, lettuce in Imperial County for fifteen bucks an hour and getting overtime after eight hours. You know, your competition is 10 miles south in Mexicali, Mexico, right. where they're picking f- lettuce for $15 a day. So the question is going to be, well, what can these growers grow and make a profit at? And then also, how do they dodge the constant uh, potential harm? You know, when you hear about, you know, E. coli or some kind of contaminated lettuce and, you know, w- what goes on with that and, you know, uh, maybe not taking that crop all the way to, to fruition because um, you have to plow it over because of some kind of disease that might have formed. Or, you know, you, you, you kind of think about some of these growers that, you know, they've been second, third, fourth generation farmers and, you know, they're kind of worried about the potential liabilities that go with something like that. So the, the overall thought is that we could bring a crop to the valley and help these farmers make money on a consistent basis. And we have a plan in place that covers the rent, covers the expense, and gives them a guaranteed profit. Mm. So the farmers are pretty excited about this project. Um, It's grown locally, and then it's brought into our facility that's local. So it's processed locally. It's not shipped to some other state to get processed. So you have the the direct and indirect benefits of um, growing the crop, processing the crop, and you know, having employment in the valley and the uh, economic benefits that go with that are are pretty tremendous. And then the final product is then being shipped um, via truck to these local blending racks that are you know within a couple hours of the facility. And uh, you know, you're keeping this energy in the state. And you know, one of the things that we tried to impress upon the state of California, the governor's office, and uh, legislature is that you know, instead of sending these hard-earned California dollars that are needed for this energy to places like Iowa, Nebraska, or Brazil, you're keeping the dollars at mm. home. And the the circulation value is, is pretty yeah. tremendous, especially in, a, in an area like Imperial County. I mean, the unemployment rate in Imperial County is almost 20%. The poverty rate's 25%. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's a good opportunity for that, that county to kind of pull itself up and um, get in line with... Uh, you know, the economy of the rest of the uh, the state or the country. Big economic opportunity, tax-wise as well, obviously, the county gets behind it. Are you, are you forming kind of a grower's union or a cooperative, or is it more kind of an individual participation grower by grower? It's more of a participation grower by grower. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's no real co-ops down there. There's a couple different growing groups. Um, and, and, and we see it as an opportunity for these guys. And, and quite honestly, I think that we'll, we'll, we won't have any problem uh, getting the the, uh, the 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 right quality growers in place and the, and the acres that we need and, and where we need them, we want them relatively close to the facility. It's not it's not a gigantic yeah. area. It's only five hundred thousand acres, but you know if we could keep right. it pretty close, it'll be uh, pretty interesting. Are there crops being grown now? Are you at that execution stage or still in the planning and, and development stage? Yeah, what's interesting about sugarcane, it's 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 not like corn where you, you you plant a seed in the spring and you and right. you harvest it before the snows and, and rains start coming in the in the fall. Yeah. Um you, you plant this cane in the ground and it, it'll stay in the ground for 
five, six, seven, ten years. Wow. And it's it's like a weed. You just cut it, bring it to the plant, and you know, nine, ten, twelve months later, you you go back to that cut field, you cut it again. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, you're harvesting year round, and it's uh, it's a good opportunity. And and really, the crops that we're going to replace, um, it's not it's not impinging on any kind of food crop. So we're not taking you know, onions or lettuce or tomato out of the, the rotation. For the most part, right. we're, we're replacing Sudan grass and alfalfa. And much of that is currently being shipped to the Middle East and Asia to feed racehorses, show horses, prize right. camels, and, and things like that. So, right. you know, we, we see it as an opportunity to, to use the water resources locally, grow a crop, keep it local, uh, versus kind of exporting that water via you know, these, these grain crops and things like that to, to other parts of the world. Now you mentioned about 500,000 acres. How many, how much of that now is planted with sugar cane or are we still pre-planting season, so to speak? Yeah, we're, we're ahead of the game. So we, we only have about a hundred acres growing right now. And as soon as we reach financial close, that, that hundred acres is cut and you could then plant 10 acres, uh, 10 times that off of each acre. So our hundred acres will then become 1100 acres uh, nine, 10 months later, you cut that and you become 12,000 acres. And, and and we ramp up to close to 50,000 acres by the time the facility comes online. It takes, it takes awesome. about yeah, two and a half years to build the plant. So we have plenty of time yeah. to to ramp it up. And the plant's currently under construction or, or waiting for final financing to Yeah, we're to just waiting for that. the financing right now. Yeah, we're just waiting for the financing. Uh, we're yeah. you know pretty yeah. excited. All the permits have done. Um, we're working on the offtake agreements and... Um, yeah, we're, we we hope to have this thing financed in, you know, May or June of this year. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we're going to have to have back to the show in a year or two. We want to have an update on this, Dave. It's very exciting. So I'll just shift gears a little bit and, you know, I want to talk a little bit about what, you know, what's important being successful in renewables. As I mentioned, many of our audience are folks that are looking in, trying to determine maybe what their next career step will be. And, you know, many of them perhaps don't know a whole lot about the field. Um, you know, I would say looking at your background, persistence, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and staying with it is, is a key part of success. But what else can you share with our audience? about what's important to be successful in renewables. Yeah, I think it's kind of looking forward. And, uh, you know, I have, I have children growing up here and uh, they were born and raised in California and um, it's a great place to live. Um, you know, we see that, you know, mm -hmm. uh, California has no more coal fired power plants. Um, the, the push is to be away from natural gas into those power plants in the next, you know, couple decades. So the question is, can right. you do, can you do renewables? And, and we've, I think we've seen it be successfully done with wind and solar that, you know, there's a kind of a, a heavy cost to get involved, but once that volume uh, creeps up, it actually becomes a win-win for everybody. It, it, it saves on the pollution, uh, creates new jobs. It creates, yeah. in our case, you know, it'll be, it'll be non-recession-proof uh, energy jobs that um, will be good for the Valley. You're not going in and out based upon recession or the price of the dollar or things like that. So, yeah. You know, if you could see kind of like where the future is going and, and I think we're on track in the state of California being, you know, the fifth largest economy in the world, um, they don't really care what Washington DC says. They're, right. they're kind of on their own track. You know, the, the great yeah. country of California is going to yeah. <laughs> do what they want to do. <laughs> Pretty much. Well, and you know, when you and I were growing up, you know, we always heard about renewable energy, you know, being alternative energy. Well, we don't have any more alternatives, right? Yeah. You know, it's all about finding new sources. And, you know, I really applaud your diligence and your commitment to this because like so many other success stories in solar and wind, it really is playing the long game, isn't it, Dave? Sure is. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. Thank you for saying that. 
So um, let's talk a little bit about, you know, the model for this, because, you know, as you said, this has been in place in Brazil and in other countries as well, or where, where else have they been harvesting sugarcane for ethanol? Well, you know, it's starting to get bigger and bigger for the ethanol side. I, you know, they've been harvesting sugarcane for sugar for you know, hundreds of years, um, mm. you know, in any kind of place where you could grow sugarcane. So it's kind of lo- along the, um, you know, the equator up and down. Right. Um, so, you know, you could do it in Jamaica, Guatemala, you know, Central America. Um, and I think some of these regions, you know, we were just recently in uh, Belize, you know, Belize has a couple yeah. of sugar mills and um, they're, they're dependent on their energy from other places like Mexico. So, you know, they're, they're, they're asking us to take a look at maybe building an ethanol plant down there using the sugarcane resources that they currently have. And what's kind of nice about looking at it, you know, you can tell a lot by, by looking at history, right? And, and the United States had, you know, these huge, you know, uh, swaths of corn growing for years and years and years. And when we, when we hit the, uh, the, uh, the, the 70 oil embargo, um, you know, Jimmy Carter said, you know, how do we turn some of that corn that's only being sold for two bucks a bushel and into, into energy? So it kind of gave the, the local growers an opportunity to sell their, their grain to either the, the local uh, mill, um, uh, for feeding cattle, or you could, or you could send it to a, an ethanol plant. So it's kind of the same situation. How, you know, it gives it gives the growers an opportunity to make um, additional profits because they have an alternative to sell their their crop somewhere. And then at the same time, you're you're not you know relying on oil that's coming from in some places hostile parts of the world. How much does ethanol now make up um, of our power grid in the U.S.? Yeah, and you know, and the power grid in the U.S. is is changing um, daily. I mean, here in California, it's it's crazy. I mean, you know, nuclear energy is going to be gone, right? The the San Onofre right. uh, nuclear plant has been shut down for a number of years. Uh, Diablo, that's up in uh, the northern the northern Bay Area of California, is going to be shut down here in a couple of years. So, you know, where where do you get your energy? And it's going to be wind. It's going to be solar. It's hydro. But at the same time, you know, if uh, if you're in drought, the hydro's not flowing, and if you're, you know, if you're uh, if it's not windy or it's not sunny, um, you, you still need some of that base load capacity. So, you know, batteries I think are going to be uh, a way of the future. But you know, there's there's issues with batteries too, right? Um, you know, what do you do with those? You know, with with those uh, those assets when they are depleted or you can't use them anymore. You're, you're going to have to bury them or do something with them. So there, you know, there's always, there's always issues surrounding renewables and, and where you're at. Um, but, you know, I, I think as time goes on, we'll, we'll figure that out. We're a pretty smart country with a lot of smart folks here and, uh, you know, we'll see where it goes. What, what percentage is, is ethanol now as a part of the national power grid? Well, the ethanol is being used for transportation fuel. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really going into the, um, the gasoline mix of, of the United States. And, and I'll stay focused kind of on California where, you know, we use 15 billion gallons a year of gasoline in the state. That's not diesel or anything. It's just gasoline. So, you know, we have a mandatory 10% blend. So California requires 1.5 billion gallons a year of, of ethanol, which is, which is significant. I mean, it's probably more, more ethanol used uh, in California in a, in a year than uh, a state like, uh, Colorado or Wisconsin would use uh, in gasoline in a year. So it's a pretty significant amount of volume. And where's that all coming from now? Is it all from the cornfields of, of Iowa or is it being imported? Yeah, it's actually both. There's, there's actually a couple of ethanol producers in the state 
mm-hmm. uh, but they're only producing you know two three hundred million gallons. So the the balance is is coming from yeah, like you said, Nebraska, Iowa. You know, they're even starting to bring some of that product up from Brazil. Um, and, and there's a thing called the low carbon fuel standard in California, right? And and right. and that requires that that the gasoline in the state has to have a twenty percent reduction over a 20 year period. So it's, it's, a, it's a slow phase in, but the question is gonna be is how do, you, how do you reduce the carbon intensity of that fuel? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And cor- corn ethanol has roughly, not to get too complicated, but th- it has roughly a, an, an 80 score, an 80 carbon intensity rating. Mm. Uh, Brazilian ethanol has 40, 45, and we've been certified at 22. Wow, yeah, that's pretty, a huge difference. Yeah, we're pretty excited about that. And we, th- and yeah. we think it could go lower. Yeah, so we're we're yeah. we're working hard at that right now. So let me get the math straight. So there's about 1.5 billion uh, gallons needed of ethanol every year in California. Did I get that number right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And and currently locally, there's only a couple hundred thousand that's that's being produced in California to supply that. Couple hundred million. Couple hundred million. Yeah, a couple hundred million. Wow. Yeah. So, so I would say big 70, 80 percent. Yeah, it's coming from out of state. Yeah. Yeah, very exciting. And are there other countries? I mean, does Brazil, for example, have a much bigger ethanol usage currently in their gasoline or other usage? Actually, the U.S. is the biggest one. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, again, you know, the largest economy, and you know, especially in California, everybody likes to drive. So, um, right you now, the usage share is pretty pretty extraordinary. And yeah. Bra- Brazil's actually been shipping some of their product to us, but you know, there's um, there's issues with that too. Yeah, you know, the European Commission wants to. Um, have lower carbon fuels, so the, the Brazil the, the Brazilians have the opportunity to ship that product. So the, the Brazil the, the Brazilians have the opportunity to ship that product. To, they'll go to the best the best markets for the best price. Yeah, yeah, very exciting. And will that ten percent change over time, Dave? In other words, will they look at higher percentage of ethanol required within gasoline? You know, we think so. Um, you know, in some states they have fifteen percent blend. And uh, actually, some vehicles are made that they could go to an eighty-five percent blend. Um, we we think we think we're not sure, but we think that California might eventually go to a fifteen percent blend um, because now you're using a, a renewable resource versus a, a fossil fuel-based uh, uh, oil going into it. So we think that there's some opportunity to go there. And and listen, you're, you're also going to see some offsets too, right? You'll see you know more electric vehicles coming into play and. And things like yeah. that. So I was going to ask not, you about that. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's not a one for one or anything like that. It's kind of a, a a a changing dynamic. Do you see longer term that there'll be electric vehicles and and ethanol or ethanol um, blend gas vehicles side by side, or will it eventually transition all to electric? You know, what's your what's your forecast on that? Man, if I uh, if I had a crystal ball, I think I'd be uh, <laughs> betting that on Vegas right now. <laughs> I, I think um, you know the, the way I look at it, I think it's going to be a mix of both. Um, uh-huh. You know, one percent of the vehicles on the road right now are electric. Uh, it, yeah. it would take a, so, so a, a lot to change that. Um, you know, the the, the way yeah. we talk to some of our stakeholders is that look, you know. Even if it gets to fifty percent, which is I think way out of line, it's you know, way too far out. Um, you know, you're still talking about seven hundred million gallons a year of current ethanol going in, or you know, going up to a you know a billion gallons if uh, if we go to a fifteen percent blend. So I think there's always going to be a need for it. You know, with electric, yeah. you know, you, you have issues with electric. You know, you have you know range 
uh, range of vehicles uh, with gasoline, right. the infrastructure for for refueling is 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 already in place. So I, I don't think it's going to go away. I think it'll be a pretty good mix of both. And just for my edification, does there have to be a modification of the engine to do a, a, a more, you know, a, a, a more balanced ethanol gasoline content, or or does it pretty much run the same whether it's ten percent, fifteen, or twenty percent ethanol? Yeah, from what I understand, um, is that the cars being produced today will easily run on fifteen or twenty percent yeah, with a, with with, awesome. with with any with without any changes. And some of the legacy cars that might have had issues uh, a few years ago, those are kind of, you know. Uh, being retired already. So, you know, the newer cars sh shouldn't have any problem with that at all. Yeah. Yeah. Very exciting. Gosh, lots of, lots of opportunity ahead. Well, uh, Dave, let's shift gears a little bit. Just want to talk a little bit about, you know, kind of the qualifications that you think are necessary to, to be successful in renewables industry. You know, here at Renew Executive Search, we work with clients and, and candidates globally, you know, who are seeking new business careers. One of the things we've learned is that, you know, there's, there's got to be a lot of conversion, you know, people that are coming from other industries, people that have skill sets that have been successful elsewhere, uh, because there's going to be such a demand over time. Um, what do you think are the qualifications that's important to succeed, you know, in the, in the renewables industry? You know, we mentioned earlier persistence, right? You know, and you've been going at this a while, you know, people have to play the long game, but, but what are some of the other characteristics that, you know, you look for as you build your team and the types of things that you think are important to, to, to find a career in, in renewables? Yeah. You know, besides persistence, I think optimism, right? You gotta, you, you gotta constantly think that the, the glass is half full versus being empty. Um, and, and I think mm. what's nice about renewables yeah. is, is that there's, it, it opens the door to so many different types of opportunities, right? Um, there's, there's certain f folks that are, are, are great with their hands and they're mechanical. They could work in a plant like this and, and keep it running. Um, you know, so it's, it's, it's a lot of material going in and being processed. So I think, you know, the trade schools could do well with this, you know, the welding, the, uh, the electrical, things like that. You can mm. need mechanical engineers, uh, electrical engineers, uh, chemical engineers, uh, and then you look at the office operations. There's going to be, you know, logistics and uh, health and safety and human resources, and um, you know, it could add, uh, you know, qu quite a quite a mix of uh, of uh, different opportunities into just a, a facility like this. And then you then you also have regulatory. You know, you have people that are need to talk to the local community, uh, kind of at a PR level. Um, you know, letting the, the, the local supervisors and, and the state leaders know that, you know, we're, we're trying to do things that are, are meeting their needs and, and um, you know, their initiatives. So, you know, it, it kind of really spans a, a, whole, a whole wave of different types of opportunities that, that, that can be drawn into an industry like this. Yeah, it sounds like many of those skills are transferable from other industries too, particularly things that are more administrative, right? Because you have, you know, supply chain issues, you have finance issues, marketing, sales, they're really not going to be too far off the off the track if you come from one industry to another. Do you agree with that? Yeah, no, I agree 100% with that. And and yeah. what's nice about this is that, you know, uh, being a, a transportation fuel and uh, you know, we'll also have some electricity going to the grid and some biogas going into the pipeline. Um, it's recession proof. You know, we need the energy. Yeah. It'll keep going. Um, right. It won't slow down because of recession or because of, um, you know, some kind of trade war. Or the flu, as we've been able to deal with in the last few weeks, right? Or the flu, you know, who, who knows? <laughs> Hopefully. Maybe you sell some of this alcohol into the uh, into the bottles that they're running out of at the store, unfortunately. You know, so. Well, let's hope by the time this episode airs, we're well beyond the corona flu virus. That'll yeah. be a thing of the past. Fingers crossed. Um, 
you know, a lot of folks that come into the industry, and we've certainly found this in solar and, and hydro and 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 in and in wind power, you know, kind of started with, you know, the doing good, right? You know, being a part of the environment, being a part of the change that's going to make the world a better place and, you know, help. Uh, if not, you know, turn around climate warming, you know, at least halt it and get it, you know, moving in the right uh, direction. What more do you think it takes to be successful in renewables beyond kind of that, that motivation of, of doing good? Uh, you, you know, I, you know, I'm a business major. So, um, you know, and I hate to say this and I'm, I'm sure a lot of people, uh, kind of glass over it, but you know, the, the number one thing is you, you have to make a profit. You know, if you're not making a profit, it doesn't make sense for people to participate. So that that being said, I think I think you know it has to pencil out. It has to make sense. You, you know, the farmers are not going to mm. grow uh, sugar cane unless they're going to make money at it. Right, right, and hopefully more money than they're making in the in you know currently with alfalfa or seed or whatever else they might be growing. Yeah, you hope so. You know, you, you hope that it brings a lot of opportunity to a lot of folks, and um, you know, if you could get the whole team playing as one and. Um, you know, you, you'll have a pretty extraordinary team and you go forward. And um, I think we're in a great spot to do that. And and I think that if people kind of look look out beyond their current situation and think about, you know, kind of kind of where's the world going, you know, I mean, shoot, 10 years ago, if somebody told you that Tesla would be as big as they are and selling as many cars, you know, what, what would you have thought? You know, electric cars were like, wow, <laughs> you know, space age. So, you know. Now we're talking driverless cars. So, you know, I, it's crazy, you know, where, where we're going and how we're getting there. So, Well, Dave Rubenstein, founder and CEO of California Ethanol and Power, you've been very, very generous with your time. But we always ask kind of one last question. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we've got a lot of folks that are listening that aren't currently in the sector. Those, of course, that are as well. But, you know, for those that aren't, what kind of words of advice and counsel would you give those that are maybe looking to enter the industry? Maybe they're, you know, coming in for the first time. Maybe they're thinking about founding their own company, uh, you know, as you have done 10, 12 years ago. Um, what would you tell them if they're, you know, looking at renewables now and considering a career move. Yeah, I would say, you know, try try to work for a company that's that's currently doing something in the space to get a, a better understanding, build your Rolodex up, kind of understand. I just dated myself saying Rolodex, right? But building up your uh, your your network. And, and <laughs> <laughs> We've had a few of those already, Dave. <laughs> you know, seeing what's out Can't there. Can't help get, it. <laughs> yeah. You get gotta get to know the people in the uh, the industry and uh and and I say go for it. You know, um it 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 won't be easy, but um you know good things come to, to people that work hard and uh, are focused and, and try harder. So um, go for it. There's no going back. You know, I think we uh, certainly have to, there, there's no alternative anymore, right? We're certainly seeing more and more uh, of uh, renewables going mainstream. And, you know, I think that's going to mean a lot for folks uh, in this next generation as they continue to grow their careers. Well, Dave, once again, thank you so much for your time today. No, I appreciate it. Thanks for the time. Thank you for listening to Renewables Going Mainstream with Brand Hanley and Christian Crown, partners at Renew Executive Search. We hope you enjoyed hearing our renewable industry experts' stories as much as we enjoyed recording them. If you want to learn more about this fast-growing sector and learn how you can become more involved, please subscribe to this podcast and share with your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brand, Christian, Renewable Executive Search and the booming renewables industry, visit www.goforrenew.com. That's www.go4renew.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode of Renewables Going Mainstream.